Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 15. We're in verses 21 through 41. Again, that's Mark 15, 21 through 41. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have Bibles in the pew, and I encourage you to pull it out and follow along. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We want you to to hold on to that Bible, to keep it, because we know the power of God's Word. And it's Mark 15, 21 through 41. It's found on page 1013 in your pew Bible, if you're looking for it. There it's written. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So now that we've been in the Gospel of Mark for over a year and we can see the finality of it coming here to an end, let's go all the way back to the beginning today. Let's go, not the beginning of Mark, let's go further back than that. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis. We're going to go back to the beginning of all beginnings. 
and we're going to remember this. We're, we're going to remember that in Genesis, we are told that God created the world and everything in it, including man. And that he puts Adam, the man, and Eve, woman, made from Adam, in the Garden of Eden. And this Garden of Eden was, by all accounts, paradise. For they walked with God. They talked with him. They, there, there wasn't anything that seemed strange or abnormal about their relationship with their father who was in heaven. They had a need, they told him. They had a celebration, they told him. He was an integral part of their everyday life. He had two rules. He said, don't eat from this tree and don't eat from that tree. For if you eat the fruit from the tree, surely you will die. And so they as long as they followed those rules, they, they lived in perfect relationship until they didn't, until they disobeyed God. There were two trees they couldn't eat from, and they ate from one. And after they ate, they could hear God coming. So they ran and they hid. They ran and they hid because they were afraid. They had disobeyed God, and now they knew that they had done something wrong, and they realized they were naked. So they ran and hid from God. They didn't want to be found. And, and God, instead of destroying them right there on the spot, because remember, he says, you eat from it, you will die. He gives them grace. He gives them grace and expels them from the garden. Yet before he even does that, in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, he curses the serpent and promises victory over Satan. And right there in that moment, before, before the expulsion occurs, before they are told to go out and now live in a fallen and broken world where they will labor for the fruit from the ground and where women will pain in childbirth and where now death will come to them in their life. He promises redemption. He promises victory. And so they go off and they live their life outside of Eden and God puts up cherubims to guard the the garden so they can't get back inside of it and they're living off in the land and, and through the old testament we see god's people in their relationship with him always struggled to keep his commands and if you didn't know it it's it there's a struggle because there is even two sets of the ten commandments because the first time moses comes down with them he's so disgusted by their quick turn of the head to an idol that he throws them down and they break and now he's got to go back up and get a new set. 
And they're told in, in, in keeping this that when they do break God's laws, when they do sin against him, that there's offerings that need to be made, sacrifices that need to be made to God to atone for what they did so that they can again be in right relationship with God. This is an ongoing process. There, it was for small menial sins, and then there's ones for larger sins, and then there is what they know as the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement comes every year. Every year, the high priest would then take the sacrifice, go into the Holy of Holies. And this was a place in the temple that was curtained off. And it was a place once a year they could go into. The Ark of the Covenant was there. It was where they were told the very presence of God lived here on earth. And he would go and make a sacrifice. And then their sins would be covered for that previous year. And they had to do this over and over and over and over again. You see, Paul grew up as a, as a, as a Jew, and, and he knew that, that this was part of it, these ritual sacrifices, these ritual offerings to atone for their sins. And he knew not only was it for the sins that they had committed, but it was also for the sins of Adam. From the very beginning, sin was entered into our lives. And so he writes to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That includes us. That includes us. And, and so today, as we witness in Scripture the crucifixion of Jesus we must ponder Jesus' substitutionary death as divine judgment for our sin. That it's because of us Jesus hangs on the cross. And that's tricky because we can fall into a trap. It's very easy to fall into a trap to... to to looking at the cross and saying, yes, oh, oh, all my major sins. Jesus forgave all my major sins. And, and, you know, I have these little sins I've committed, but they're not that big of a deal. They're not that big of a deal. I mean, right? I know the Ten Commandments. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I love the Lord my God. I honor my father and mother. I've, I've done them all, right? Jesus was approached by a man, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, we'll keep all the commandments. You know this. He goes, I've done it since my youth. It's amazing. And then Jesus says, okay, we'll sell everything and follow me. And we're told he couldn't do it and walked away. And what revealed was that while externally it appeared that he had kept all the commandments, he didn't love the Lord his God with all of his heart, body, and soul. And so Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've been told that you shall not commit murder. Well, I tell you, when you get angry at someone, you've committed murder in your heart. And anyone who's driven on I-95 anywhere up the eastern seaboard, you know. And he says, anyone... You've been told not to commit adultery. But I, I tell you, if you had in, one inappropriate, lustful thought about someone else, you've committed adultery. 
you tend to think some of what we do isn't that big of a deal because, well, generally we believe ourselves to be a good person. I'm more good than bad. So what do I need to ask for forgiveness for? What do I need to repent of? I've done more good than bad. I mean, it was only a little white lie. Well, folks, all Adam and Eve did was take one little bite. One bite. They didn't even eat the whole fruit. It was one bite, and here comes God, and now they're expelled from paradise forever, and death is upon all humanity. One little sin. For you see, sin is punishable by death. We still fall into that trap thinking it's no big deal. Folks, look at the cross. I urge you to look at the cross. It is the severity of our sin that has led to nothing less than the torture and murder of God's own divine son. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross, he hangs and bleeds for the atonement of sins to wash them away once and for all. And we were told hundreds of years before Jesus was even born that this would be the case, that this is what our Messiah would do. I'm going to read to you from the prophet Isaiah. He, he tells of what God told him in Isaiah 53, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, 
the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's our Jesus. That is our Jesus who hangs on the cross. And we're told Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. For you see, it's that curtain in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where we were separated from God. There was a barrier because of our sin. We could not be in his presence. We did not have access to God. And now because of Christ, because of his good and finished work on the cross, we now get the Father unbarriered. We have full access to him just as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden did. We can walk with him. We can talk with him. We get to enjoy his presence. We get to enjoy enjoy his favor. We get to enjoy his love. And most of all, when we go to him with the most heinous of sins and rebellion, and even with the tiniest, he meets us with grace and forgives us. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. No more barriers. He bled and died for your forgiveness. Death no longer reigns victorious over us, but we stand in the victory that Jesus stands in. And so I want to leave you today with an encouragement and an urging from the author of Hebrews. And he tells us, Therefore, sisters and brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You know, on the one hand, we do. We think the little ones are no big deal. We don't need to seek forgiveness. Problems are too small for such a big God. But the truth is on the other side of the coin as well. My sin, my faults, my failures are too big to be forgiven. On that day, on that cross, in the midst of those three dark hours, 
Jesus took it all away. To God be the glory forever. Amen. This this morning, we, we come to the Lord's table, as we do every week. And in and the psalmist writes in Psalm 77, he tells us, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. But we're also told that God's people are a forgetful bunch. And the truth is, not much has changed these days. I'm, I'm one to easily forget what I'm supposed to do next. I was once told by a congregation member in Texas that as you get older, they have magnets in doorways that seem to just erase your memory when you walk from one room to the next. And so we need reminders, right? We, we work on this. Even small kids need reminders. We try reminding them there's the old tie a ribbon or around your finger, write it on your hand, put, a, put a, a bracelet or a band on. And now we have these fancy phones that we carry in our pocket that'll beep at us at any time we ask them to, to remind us. God knew we were a forgetful bunch, but called us to remember. Because it's in the remembering that we realize how great God is and how loving he is towards us. And so he set for us this table with this bread and this cup so that when we hold on to this bread and cup, we remember who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. And remember, yes, when we meet God, he meets us with grace. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we gather at your table this morning. We are grateful for the reminder of your grace and love in our lives. We're grateful for the reminder that we see at the cross of of our sin that that you washed away with Jesus' blood. As we eat and drink from this cup today, oh God, may we not only be strengthened, but may we always remember and recall how great your love is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.